It's the Exodus chapter 1. We're going to look at the first seven verses of Exodus this morning. We're going to uh, continue in a series that I started a couple weeks ago uh, on the book, uh, the book of Exodus, entitled Free at Last. Free at Last. Let's look at the Word of God, Exodus 1, verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. And then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would, as we all sit under the authority of your Word, that you would speak to us. We pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, would work through your Word to do that work in our hearts to transform us, renew us, and change us, and encourage us toward obedience to you. And I pray, Lord God, I pray for us all that your word would penetrate our hearts and change our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, uh, in the first sermon in our uh, Exodus series, Free at Last, I reminded us that the Exodus story does not begin in a context of oppression and slavery, but rather within the context of covenant that God has bound himself to his people and has promised that he will be our God and that we will be his people. And this relationship which we have now through faith in Jesus Christ with the God of heaven and earth is the reason that oppression and slavery cannot be our final destiny. It will not be our final destiny spiritually, for sin and death will not have dominion over us because of God's faithfulness in Jesus Christ to set us free from those oppressive and enslaving forces. And it will not be our final destiny in this world, for the power of those things that oppress and enslave in this life will also ultimately be broken by the power of our God in faithfulness to his covenant promise to create a world free from those oppressing and enslaving powers. The reason, for instance, that we are called to fight for justice in this world, to be a just people in all our dealings with each other and in the world is because we know, we as Christians know what is coming. We've been told by our God that All that oppresses and all that enslaves will be rooted out of his world, will not be a part of the new heavens and the new earth. And so we live, we live in the present in in the hope of that future, committing ourselves to a lifestyle that builds toward that future. And as we enter into Exodus chapter 1, it is the future that is in view. As Moses prepares a new generation 
to enter into the promised land. He wanted them to know and to understand what God had done, who they were, and how God was calling them to live in the world. And we who are looking back at this narrative are also meant to draw encouragement and instruction from it for our future as those who are a part of the same story of God's covenant promises now fulfilled in Jesus. Don't forget those words of the Apostle Paul who wrote in Romans 15, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So as we look look at the first seven verses of this book, I want to impress upon us today this, this truth, that God is always at work to advance His covenant purposes in our lives. He is always at work to advance His covenant purposes in our lives. And we we need especially to be reminded of this in periods where it appears that God is silent or absent. These first seven verses cover a period of more than 400 years From the death of Joseph until the time when God comes to set them free, the people experience 400 years of oppression in a foreign land. And the question that had to be in the minds of those listening to Moses or reading this narrative and preparing to enter the promised land had to be, where was God during all that time? What what was He doing while His people we're enduring those circumstances. If, if we're honest, we, we've asked the same question in shorter seasons of our own lives, seasons where we have felt God silent or absent. Where, where, where is God? Does He still care? Does my life matter to Him? Am I, am I going to make it through this? And the answer that these first seven verses of Exodus provide us is that God is not absent, that He does care, that our lives do matter, and that we will ultimately experience God's salvation in our lives. And all of this is so because God is always at work to advance His covenant purposes in our lives. So what are, what are the signs? What are, what are the signs that God is not absent but present? I want to talk first about an established purpose, an established purpose. I, I, I want to say to us this morning that, that our circumstances do not change the purpose that God has established for us in covenant relationship with Him. Slavery, oppression, mistreatment, poverty, injustice, calamity, and the like may upset our circumstances, but they do not change who God has made us and what He has purposed for us in this world. Moses, as he begins this book in verse 1, he begins by identifying those who came to Egypt during Joseph's tenure as second in command of the land. He identifies them as sons of Israel. 
And there's significance here that, that, that we shouldn't pass over because that name Israel was the name God gave to the one who is also identified in the same verse as Jacob. And if you remember the story of the name change, you will remember that it came after a wrestling match between Jacob and an angel that God had sent to him. Jacob was preparing to meet his brother Esau, whom he had defrauded out of his birthright when they were kids. A birthright was a right to function as the first son in ancient households, which brought with it a greater portion of the family's inheritance and leadership within the family upon the father's death. He was preparing to meet Esau. He was, and he was afraid that Esau would exact revenge because of what Jacob had done to him when they were younger. And so he, he had sent all these gifts ahead of him to give uh, to Esau in the hopes that he could appease Esau and keep Esau from causing him and his family trouble. Jacob had already been through a, a, a great deal of struggle in his own life with his uncle, and he wanted to avoid more conflict with his brother. And so he sent his family ahead of him to prepare to meet Esau. And while he was alone, God sent an angel to wrestle with Jacob. Listen to the text. In Genesis 32, it says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And later in the story, we find that the man is actually an angel. Now, you may be asking, why would God allow or send an angel to wrestle with Jacob? Why would, why would God do that? The angel himself answers that question, saying to Jacob, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Go back and read the story in Genesis 32. Jacob wanted the angel to bless him, which is why Jacob would not let him go. And I believe that the blessing that Jacob wanted from the angel in context of the story is this. Jacob wanted to avoid conflict with his brother. Jacob was weary of struggling, having spent years struggling with his uncle. Any of y'all in the house know about family drama? Anybody in the house know about struggle? Jacob was through with family drama. He was through with struggling, and he wanted the angel to bless him such that he would be through with suffering. But it was as if God, speaking through the angel and changing Jacob's name to Israel, was saying, no, I'm not going to take away the experience of struggle from you or your descendants. Rather, I'm going to give you purpose in it and purpose through it. You will be my people. You will be my people, a people who prevail through trial and tribulation, through suffering and hardship, through injustice and oppression. You will be a people who come out on the other side of your hardships as victors because of my faithful presence with you and my purpose for you. And as a reminder, the angel, before changing Jacob's name to Israel, puts his hip out of joint. 
He gives them a permanent physical sign that he had wrestled with man and God and prevailed. And so as Moses speaks to this new generation and as he prepares to tell them the story of their ancestors' experience in Egypt, he reminds them that their story did not start out as slaves of Pharaoh. Their story started out as sons of Israel. Let me say that again. (laughs) Their story did not start out as slaves of Pharaoh, but their story started out as sons of Israel. They are part of a heritage of prevailing through suffering because of their relationship with God. They are purposed by God for this in order that through them God might show His power to save and to deliver. And I came to tell someone this morning who has their faith in the Lord Jesus that you through him are a part of that same heritage. You are those who through faith in Jesus are spoken of by the Apostle Paul when he asked the question about being separated from the love of God. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In God, in God, in relationship with him, in covenant with him, and through faith in Jesus, our purpose is to prevail through our trials, and prevail we will through the power of Almighty God. The call for us is the same as it was for those listening to Moses, hearing the story of God's acts among his people in the Exodus story. It is to remember that we have an established purpose in relationship with God to carry God's name into the world. And that, uh, that purpose means that we will ultimately prevail over those things that seek to keep us from God's purposes in our lives to be his witnesses in the world. And certainly, as the people of Israel went into the promised land and prepared to face additional enemies to the ones that their ancestors faced, they needed to keep in front of them their purpose as sons of Israel, those called into covenant relationship with God to be his people, his ambassadors in the world. They needed to remember that God had caused their ancestors to prevail and what caused them ultimately to prevail in the calling he had placed on their lives not through any effort of their own, but through God's commitment to be faithful to his covenant, which he did in the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's because, listen to me, it is because of God's faithfulness in Jesus that you and I can have confidence that God's purposes will be established in us individually and corporately as well. It's to believe, brothers and sisters, that we are through Jesus more than conquerors through him that loved us. There is no way, listen to me, to face down either our individual or our corporate enemies, whether spiritual or fleshly, if we don't believe that the victory will ultimately be the Lord's and ours through faith in Jesus. This doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that every individual or corporate trial will end in our favor, but that the final word over our lives will be victory because whether we live or die, we will inherit a future that God has prepared for all of his sons and daughters through faith in Jesus Christ. You have, and we have, 
and established purpose. But we also have a continued preservation. You might say that prevailing is tied to this next point. For it's safe to say that our prevailing rests in God's commitment to preserve us. In verses 2 to 5, we are given the list of 11 names that came from Canaan to Egypt. Joseph already being in Egypt. We're told that with their households, they represented 70 persons in all. I want to impress upon us this morning that without saying a lot, Moses has said a lot, actually, in these four verses. For anyone listening to the story at that time would have also been reminded of what it was that had brought Jacob and his sons and their families to Egypt. They would have been reminded of the story in Genesis of a famine that was impacting the whole world at that time. They, they would have been reminded that things were so dire that when Jacob heard there was grain for sale in Egypt, he sent his sons there saying, Behold, I've heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there so that we may live and not die. Death was, of course, a real threat, and perhaps some had died. Yet those who knew the Genesis story would have also known the story of Joseph. They would have known of Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery that brought him to Egypt. They would have known the story of Joseph rising to a place of prominence in Potiphar's house. They would have known the circumstances that brought about his demise through the lives of Potiphar's wife who was sexually attracted to him and accused him of assaulting her. They would have known the story of Joseph being thrown into prison by Potiphar. They would have known the story of Joseph interpreting the dreams of his two fellow prisoners whom he asked to remember him before Pharaoh, both of whom forgot him. They would have known that Joseph had sat in prison until one of them remembered him and told his story to Pharaoh, who needed his own dream interpreted. They would have known that Joseph had done just that. He had interpreted accurately uh, Pharaoh's dreams and as a result began to rise to power again in Egypt until he became second in command. They, they would have known that it was Joseph who came up with a plan during the famine in which Egypt was, was to be able to store up grain in preparation for the famine. They would feed Egypt and provide grain to be sold to the nations around them. And they would, have, they, they, they would remember that it was this Joseph who would eventually bring his whole family to Egypt to be cared for by him during the famine. And they would have known that in all of this story, in all the ins and outs, in all the ups and downs, they, they, they would have known that, that the life of Joseph and his family members had, had been preserved, not because of Joseph, not because of how great he was, but it, that their lives were preserved because God is faithful to his covenant promises. And as those of us who have our faith in the Lord Jesus are now a part of this heritage, how many of us can look back over our lives and testify to God's preserving hand in our lives? How many of us can truly say, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? Where would I be? God's commitment to advance His purposes in our lives comes with a commitment to preserve us until those purposes have been accomplished. No, it's not a promise that our days on this earth are going to be long. Rather, it's a promise 
that he will preserve us all our days on this earth until his purposes have been fulfilled in us. And because his purposes for us are good, we can rejoice in knowing that our hardships will not prevent that good from coming to expression in us and through us as God's people. The, the tribes of Israel made it to Egypt and were preserved because God was not through with them yet. And I got news for you. If you're here this morning, it's because God is not through with you yet. If you're here this morning, it's because God has not forgotten you. If you're, you're here this morning, it's because God still has purpose for your life. I know how you feel. I know, I know you're wrestling, some of you, through seasons of doubt and anxiety and worry and depression, and you're thinking, maybe God is done with me. Maybe, may, maybe my life is over. Maybe, maybe I just need to check out. I want to be real with some of us this morning. Some of us are going through the kind of stuff where we just feel like it would be better if I were not here. But if you're here, it's because God has purpose for your life. If you're here, it's because God is not through with you yet. If you're here, it's because God has not only preserved you up until this point, but is saying to you, I will preserve you until I am done with my purposes in your life. Amen, people of God. He's not through with us. Don't let your circumstances convince you otherwise. And the call here is to believe that God will, in fact, preserve us individually and corporately until our purpose is fulfilled. I believe Moses wanted to encourage faith in that generation heading into the promised land, that they would be preserved in the same way that their brothers and sisters, their ancestors had been preserved, that the surrounding circumstances of their lives would not prove their demise. Of course, when you and I are in the midst of tough circumstances, we can feel like we're not going to make it. We can feel like the circumstances are ultimately going to be our undoing. But your life is not in the hands of your circumstances. I wish I had some witnesses this morning. Your, your, your life is not in the hands of your circumstances. It is, your, your life is in the hands of all mighty God. And this isn't just a point for theological reflection, but important to our day-to-day -day living. If I believe that my life is in the hands of my circumstances, it won't be long before I'm committing myself to doing whatever I have to in order to survive, even if, even if that doing is not what God would have me doing. How many of us turn to our favorite sin when we think our life is threatened or ebbing away? How many of us turn to anger or violence, addictions, ungodly alliances and the like just to gain some sort of control over our life circumstances? And if you know the story of God's people in the land, you know that some of the things mentioned above were indeed what many turned to when their lives were under threat. But if our lives are really in the hands of God, preserved by Him, then we can trust Him and keep doing right. Even in difficult circumstances, we can trust our lives to Him knowing that He sees what we are going through, and He knows how deep the trial we are facing is. And yet He has promised, I will preserve you in it. 
and fulfill my purposes in you and fulfill my purposes through you in the lives of others. Amen, people of God. We have, we have an established purpose. We have a continued preservation, and we are an expanding community, an expanding community. It's hard to read verse 7 and not hear the allusions to that first book of stories that Moses authored for God's people. When we see the words fruitful, increased, multiply, and grew exceedingly, how can our minds not be drawn back to those first two human beings whom God created, those two human beings from whom all of humanity is descended? It was in relationship with those two human beings that God gave this command, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. It has always been God's plan to have human beings fill his creation and image him in it, giving shape to the created order to bring praise and glory to the one who brought all of it into being. In the fall, our rebellion and sin against God, as destructive as it has been to the human community and our relationship with God and each other, as destructive as it has been for the creation, which is often abused by us rather than cared for, this did not stop God from maintaining his commitment to his original purpose and plan. Instead, God purposed to do something about the fall, covenanting to destroy the work of the serpent in the garden through a seed, a person, that would crush the head of the evil one and destroy his works in this world. And through that seed, through that person, God determined to purchase a people for himself from the human community from all the nations within that human community who would be empowered to go out into the world as redeemed image bearers to spread the goodness and love of God that is now found in relationship with Jesus Christ. And that same redeemed people, expanding as the gospel reaches more and more people, become ambassadors of God in this world, working for what is right and good in every place where God sets them until the day when they will inherit a new heavens and a new earth where the old order of things has passed away and gives birth to what God has promised for all those who love him, a world where good reigns. When Moses spoke about Israel's fruitfulness, their increasing, their multiplying and growing in Egypt, he was alluding to the promise made to Abraham of descendants who would be too numerable to count like the sand of the seashore. Yet in speaking to this promise, he was also alluding to that command made to Adam and Eve and covering all of humanity to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And God was showing through the increase of this one nation, Israel, that he was not going to forget his original plan. Their growth was a reminder of God's intention to fill the earth with image bearers who would carry out his good purposes in the world. And nothing, not even oppression and slavery, could stop it. Their growth was a down payment on a promise that would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ our Lord. For it is through his work that the writer of Revelation is able to, to, to behold a vision that is the fulfillment of the promise that God made in Genesis and restated in Abraham. After this I looked, 
And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You and I are part of this expanded and expanding innumerable community of worshipers under the Lordship of Jesus. And it does not matter what what the evil one or the world tries to do to us, we will continue to expand, not because we are smart, not because we are powerful in our own right, but because God has promised it. Listen to me today. I don't care what the statistics say. I don't care what anybody in this world says. God is on the move to build a community of worshipers from among all the nations of the earth, and absolutely nothing can stop that. You're going to see it in the next sermon. Pharaoh oppresses, and the people grow. And he adds more oppression, and what do you think happens? The people grow. And no matter how much oppression he tries to put on the people of God, he cannot stop God from doing what God has said he will do. And no one in the world can stop the movement of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from spreading all over this world. doesn't matter what the powers that be do. The gospel finds a way <laughs> to keep moving forward. Amen, people of God. Amen. Moses wanted to encourage faith in the Israelites going into the promised land to trust that God would continue to expand them, continue to increase their impact among their neighbors, for the benefit of making God's name known. God's promise to make them like the sand on the seashore would not be diminished. And as we sit here today, we sit here as a part of God's expanding community from among the nations of the earth. God's commitment, brothers and sisters, isn't shrinking, even if particular nations or denominations have shrunk. God has yet remained faithful to keep expanding his witness in this world through his church. And war and famine and displacement of all kinds and all other circumstances of life in this world have not stopped God from remaining on the move to spread the good news of his salvation in Christ Jesus throughout this world. And we need to remember this so that we do not look out in hopelessness at the world believing that nothing is happening but evil. All over the world, people are coming to know Jesus through the testimony of his church. And that should motivate us to keep finding ways to share the gospel in the place where God has set us. Jesus' words have not changed all these centuries. The harvest is plentiful. Let's not let the second part of that verse continue to be true, but the laborers are few. Let's keep praying to the Lord of the harvest to keep expanding us, to keep thrusting us out into the harvest to draw people in. Amen, people of God. I want to remind you again as I close that God is always at work to advance His covenant purposes in our lives. The truths that provide us a foundation for trusting this is God's giving us 
an established purpose, his commitment to continued preservation in our lives, and the fulfillment of his promise to keep expanding his covenant community. May the Lord continue to grant us faith to believe that all of this is ours through the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen, people of God. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you thanks. We thank you, Lord, that you are committed, that you have indeed bound yourself to working to advance your purposes in our lives. We thank you, Lord God, that in relationship with you, your people can have confidence in the purpose you have established for us, can have confidence in your continued commitment to preserve us in the face of trial and hardship of all kinds, and your commitment to continue to expand and grow the community of believers who trust in Jesus until indeed, Lord, that picture in Revelation is fulfilled. After this, I looked and behold, a multitude which no one could count. Father, we continue to pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, through the work of Jesus Christ, will continue to build, strengthen, grow, expand the community of believers in this world for the glory of your name and for the good of this world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.